Let me invite you this morning to John. Chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is the fourth of a series of messages that we have been walking through as we think about um, where the Lord is leading us, where the Lord is leading us as a church, where the Lord is leading us in regard to planting a new work of engaging in the work of ministry as He continues to lead us forward. Um, you know, again, we've not voted to make anything official, but we've settled on a name for this new work when it is officially launched. Um, taking straight from the words of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. And so we've walked through chapter 14, 15, and 16, uh, thinking about and listening to and hearing from Jesus and his final teaching. This morning, we are in John chapter 17, and Jesus changes, I guess you could say Jesus changes his audience. He's not talking to the disciples in this chapter. He is talking to the Father in this chapter. He is ending in what is often called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And when we come to this chapter, I, I don't want us to forget that Jesus is literally steps away from the cross. The army led by Judas is en route to the garden. There are 600 men, well trained and well armed, and that's not counting the high priests and those from the temple court. In just a few moments, Jesus will be arrested. He will be dragged into the city and thrown before Pilate. He'll begin a series of trials that will last all night long. And throughout all of the indictments, throughout all of the false testimonies, throughout all of the political wrangling, Jesus is declared innocent. Yet he is crucified anyway. As his teaching time with his disciples come to a close, Jesus prays. Now this is not the same prayer we read about in the other Gospels, where the disciples fall asleep. And Jesus comes back and he says, could you not wait with me for an hour? This, in whatever setting exactly it is, is a public prayer, it's a, it's a vocal prayer that the disciples most likely heard. We certainly are grateful that John would record it so that we could hear it as well. I want to make one observation before we draw the, the few things from this text this morning. Because I don't want this to get lost on us. The observation is this. Jesus Pray. I know y'all are looking at me like, so what? Jesus prayed. I want that to sink in for a second. The second person of the Trinity 
praise to the first person of the Trinity. God the Son pours out His heart to God the Father. Not only did Jesus know the plan of redemption, He planned the plan of redemption. He is fulfilling the plan of redemption by going to the cross, taking our sin, dying there, raising again. Yet in this moment, Jesus prayed. I'm not going to ask us to consider why Jesus prayed and all of those kinds of things. But I am going to ask us to consider this. If prayer were so important that Jesus would expend his last breaths to do it, how much more important should prayer be to you and me? Jesus prayed. If you don't get anything else this morning, meditate on that today. Jesus prayed. And so let's look at this prayer. There's a lot of text. I'm only going to pull a few points out of it. But I do want to invite you to stand as we read the first five verses of John chapter 17 in honor of the reading of the Word of God. This is the way Jesus opens His Prayer, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, those are the words in John really 13, 14, and 15, and 16. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for life that is found in your word. We thank you for the example of Jesus to come before you in prayer. And Father, we pray this morning as we just take a very quick glimpse at this precious, precious time of communion. That you would speak to our hearts. That we would know you better. That we would know eternal life. And that we would grow in likeness of Jesus. We trust you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. One of these days we'll walk through this prayer in more detail. Um, I would love to spend days and days and weeks and weeks because there is just so much in here that makes just so much difference in the way that we live our lives, difference in the way that we would come to prayer. But for today, and in the vein of thinking of us abiding in the true vine of Jesus, in this first section of this prayer, I want us to see two related truths, two related truths about Christ. Truth number one is this, one is the glory of Christ. 
the glory of Christ. And the second one is that eternal life is in Christ. The glory of Christ and eternal life in Christ. Look again at verse number 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have seen. Beloved, here is the answer to the question of eternity. Here is the answer to the question of our existence. Here is the answer to the question of why churches are in the world and why we are even considering launching a new church. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing His Son. Period. Not a comma, not a colon. Period. Knowing Him, knowing His Son. It's not complicated. It's not convoluted. And to be honest with you, it's not really all that sophisticated. No God, no Jesus, no eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's how we are eternally saved. This is new life. This is regeneration. This is purpose. This is meaning. This is healing. This is hope. This is help. This is why our lives matter. This is how we fix our marriages. This is how moral atrocities in our culture are solved. This is how things like racism ends, abortion ends. This is how life is valued. This is it. These few words. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Beloved, this is the sum total of all existence. And I pray, I pray that is why we are launching a new work. Why we are launching a new church. That Jesus Christ is eternal life. And in that eternal life, we will glorify Him the way He has been glorified from all of eternity. No matter what else we do, if we do anything else, if we begin to run a thousand or a million people in church, if we begin to feed all the hungry, end abortion, end slavery, end political division, even end poverty, we can do all of this. But if eternal life is lost and Jesus Christ is not glorified, that work is for naught. Jesus begins praying with these words. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. God is most glorified when the Son is most glorified. And the Son is most glorified in eternal life. Eternal life. In the Son whom the Father sent. He sent Him here to live without sin. To die without guilt. 
and to raise from the dead without corruption. One of the earliest confessions of faith, a creedal statement even, is from Paul's writings to Timothy. It says, Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. Speaking of Jesus, He was manifested in the Spirit, or manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. Beloved, too often we want to complicate matters in the church. Yes, we want to love each other, and we want to serve each other. It is a biblical mandate to not only do that, but to do that from a posture of sacrificial love. The church is not about political wrangling. It's not about getting what we want all the time. It's not about you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. Church is about Jesus. It is finding hope and healing in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. Our Redeemer. Our Healer. Our Helper. Our eternal life. Abiding in the true vine first this morning means that Jesus prayed for His glory to burst through in this world in knowing God and knowing Him in eternal life. Secured by His death and resurrection and proclaimed by preaching repentance of sin to this world. Oh, that they may know eternal life. That they would know you, Father, and Jesus Christ. Above everything else, Jesus prays that we would know Him. But secondly, Jesus prays for His disciples. We see this portion beginning in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of this world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. 
your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Again, there is so very, very much in here that we could spend time examining. But I want to focus on this portion of prayer in two verses. One is verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Beloved, I think at some point in every one of our lives, every one of us have prayed something like this. Lord, if you would just get me out of this, I promise I will never, or I promise I will always. But Lord, get me out of this. So often that's our prayer. Lord, take me out of the problems. Take me out of the trials. Take me out of the tribulations. Take me out of the pain. Take me out of this world. Jesus prayed differently. Earlier in this prayer, Jesus says he has given his disciples everything they need. Everything they need. He's promised them the Holy Spirit in both John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. Friends, Jesus says leave them here because we have everything we need. Everything we need to live, to work, to walk, to hope, to love, to glorify the Son in the Father in this world. This world is our mission field. If we abide in Christ and abide in His love, we do it here. In this world, in this pain, in this suffering, in this tribulation, but we do it empowered. By Christ. This is confirmed by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things. Focus on that word, all things. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires. He has given us everything. From the moment of regeneration, the moment you repented of your sin, the moment you surrendered your life to Christ, He gave us everything. There is no more Holy Spirit that's coming later on down the road. There's no more power or hope or love. He says you have it all right now. And Jesus calls us to live in this world, even to suffer in this world, because He has given us everything to glorify Him in this world. And so we ask, if He's given us everything, why do we feel so powerful, powerless? Why do we feel so weak? Why do we feel so hopeless? Why do we feel so troubled? One is because we are. We are weak. We are hopeless and powerless. But it is in that weakness 
we find the power of Christ. Amen. Remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. And listen to what he says. When I am weak, then I am strong. Then I am strong. There's also a second point in this prayer that I want to highlight this morning. And it's found in verse 17. Verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Sanctify them. That means set them apart. In many ways, it literally means make them holy. Make them holy. The Apostle Peter, who probably heard this prayer as well, writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, You are a chosen race, speaking to the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, he goes on to say, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Sanctify them. Jesus commands us to abide in Him. Abide in the true vine. If we go back to John 15, verse 7, it says, If you abide in Me, and listen to what He says, And My words abide in you. It means we are in the will of God and we know the will of God. That's when He says, Whatever you ask, it will be done. When we come to Him in prayer, abiding in His will, sanctified by His truth, then our prayers match His Word. So I can promise you, if we're praying today, Lord, sanctify us, He will do it. It's a prayer He wants to answer because He's told us right here. Jesus even prays to confirm how we are sanctified in this world. He says, you're sanctified by the truth and there is only one source of truth that sanctifies Christians in this world. And that source is the Word. Now in John's Gospel, more than once, Jesus is identified as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word put on flesh. So we know that abiding in the Word, even abiding in the Bible as the Word of God, is... Abiding in Christ, who is the Word, made flesh, and crucified, and resurrected. That's what we remember when we take communion. Beloved, please recognize what Jesus is praying here. In this world, the disciples are going to face tribulation. Most of them are going to die a martyr's death. Most of them lost everything they ever owned. They lost family members and friends. 
They lost homes and jobs. But they counted the cost of loss as worthy of following Christ. Of following Christ even in this world of pain. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippi, Philippians 3.8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Why was it worth the cost? Because the closer they would abide in Christ, the closer they became to being holy as He is holy. They were sanctified as they walked with the truth in the presence of the Spirit of truth. They knew the Word and they endured the suffering. They experienced the promise of James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Jesus prays that we may glorify him by knowing eternal life in him. Jesus prays that the disciples would walk faithfully in this world of tribulation. And in so walking, they would be sanctified by the truth of Jesus, the truth of His Word. But Jesus doesn't end His prayer there. Read with me from verses 20 to the end of the chapter. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their Word. That they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, these that know you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. Friends, Jesus prayed for you and me. He prayed for True Vine Baptist Church, not only before it existed in our life, but before it existed in anybody's life. He prayed for every single believer from the first century to the 21st century. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in them through their or will believe in me through their word. The focus of Jesus' prayer for us is really just one thing that we will be one. That we will be one just as he is one with his father, 
and that we would be with Him. Jesus prays for a unified church. But that unity is not based on mutual agreements or contracts or compromises. That unity is grounded, founded, and eternally established in the Trinity. In God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Jesus prays that there would be one church eternally present in thousands of local churches. And that the unity would be like that of the Father and His Son. That we would be in Christ as He is in the Father. And that by that unity, the world would know that God is God and Jesus is His Son. Sent that God may be glorified as He redeems His people for eternal life through the truth. Of his death and his resurrection. Jesus prays for us. He prays that you and I would glorify the Father. That you and I would glorify the Father the way he glorified the Father. He prays that we would glorify the Father the way the disciples walked with Jesus. Walked with the word and in that glorified. The Father. Jesus had a long-term view of what it meant to abide in Christ. We talked about this back in John 15. Abiding is not something we do one time and leave. It's something we do and we stay. It's a long-term, lifelong commitment that even goes, goes beyond that. So I ask us, do we have that same long-term view? Are we praying now that God will be glorified in this work in 50 years? In a hundred years? Yes, we need a one-year plan and a three-year plan and a five-year plan maybe. But we also need to abide in Christ in such a way that generations to come will see our unity as prayed for by Jesus and abide in Him as well. And you may think a hundred years. That's too long to think. I ask us, is it? Is it? Let's just think here for a second. <clears throat> I'm 52 years old. The youngest person in our church is just under two. I've been here for 50 years. When he is 52, that's 104 years. Are we looking at the long-term view? Are we looking at the generation that is coming behind us so that we can experience the unity in Christ that glorifies God in such a way that generations to come, 25 years down the line, 50 years down the line, 100 years down the line, I pray that what we're investing in here right now, the youngest people in our church, their great-grandchildren, will see the work that God has done and glorify Him. 
preaching and teaching eternal life in the midst of struggles and tribulations. That if the Lord would so tarry, a hundred years is not too long to be looking forward. We have the possibility of faithful service. And it starts with abiding in the true vine. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed for eternal life. Jesus prayed for a sanctified life. A sanctified life in a troublesome and painful world. And he prayed that that would be the case for decades and centuries and millennia. And he says when we abide in him, we will bear fruit, much fruit, much good fruit for decades and centuries and millennia. I want to close this morning by praying and reading from Psalm 119. I'm going to begin in verse 153. I'm going to go to verse 160. Hear the words of the psalmist. Be reminded of the words of Jesus. Glorify me. I pray that they may know eternal life by knowing God and knowing Christ. Father, don't take them out of this world, but sanctify them in this world. And do this for generations and generations and generations. The psalmist prays in Psalm 119, verse 153. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life. According to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked. For they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors. Many are my adversaries. But I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust. Because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Father, this morning we pray as Jesus prayed. That you would grant eternal life. That we would know you. That we would walk with you. That we would glorify you. We pray. As Jesus prayed. That you would not take us from this world. Yes, it's sorrowful. Yes, it's painful. Yes, there is suffering. There is persecution and trials. But it is in the midst of that where we find you sanctifying us making us holy that we can walk with you and we can make your name known in this world and father we pray for the generations to come behind us that the decisions and the commitments that we make today 
especially the decision to abide in you, abide in the true vine, that you would bear fruit through the work of this church and that it would last for generations and generations to come. We thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for the hope we find in repentance and belief. We thank you for the reminder of communion to proclaim your death until you come, your broken body and your spilled blood. We thank you that you have called us to be your holy people, a chosen generation, and you have given us everything we need to live a godly life in this world of corruption. Sanctify us so that we can glorify you. In Jesus' name.